0: On this episode of the Investment Opportunity Podcast, we discuss the impact of the pandemic through the eyes of a REIT.
1: Welcome to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. We'll educate you on the latest investment trends happening in one of the hottest real estate classes, skilled nursing and seniors housing. We'll point out the risks so you can reap the rewards of investing in this growing and complex industry. And now your hosts, Ben Boland and Brandon Boland. Welcome to the Investment Opportunity Podcast presented by Senwell Senior Investment Advisors. Senwell is a mergers and acquisitions advisory firm that specializes in the skilled nursing and senior care space. With us today, we have a very special guest, Michelle Kelly, the Senior Vice President of Investments at National Health Investors. NHI is a real estate investment trust that specializes in sale, leaseback, joint venture, mortgage, and mezz financing financing of need-driven and discretionary seniors housing and medical investments. Their portfolio consists of independent, assisted and memory care communities, entrance fee communities, skilled nursing facilities, medical office buildings, and specialty hospitals. Michelle, that's a lot of things that you guys specialize (laughs) in. Welcome
0: to the show.
2: Well, thank you very much guys i'm so happy to to be here and looking forward to chatting with you here
1: yeah we're excited to have you
0: joining us from colorado correct not the illinois poster indeed i've
2: got my chicago roots but i do live in colorado
1: i should say um this show is hosted by i am brandon bullen and this is my co-host ben Bullen. so if you're listening we apologize ahead of time if our voices sound similar um But I do wanna get into a little bit about what you're doing over at NHI. So if you could, for those of you who are listening who don't know much about NHI, Michelle, could you give us maybe a little bit of a lead in on what you're doing over there and and, um, some of the things that you guys are investing in today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, So I myself have been in the senior living and skilled nursing spaces now for about 19 years, always on the financing side of the equation. And then I've been with NHI now, coming up on three years. Um, we are based in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and you know, find our roots. Uh, we spun out of a company called National Healthcare Corporation, which is a publicly traded skilled nursing company that is also still based in Murfreesboro. Um, but these days, you know, our portfolio is about two thirds senior housing and about one third skilled, with the the handful of other um, healthcare properties that you mentioned that we've invested in. So. Some behavioral health hospitals, some MOBs are also in there as well. Um, I think our our sweet spot has tended to be to partner with uh, regional operators who are looking to grow. um, And we've really been able to help them uh, finance that growth, whether it be through acquisitions and or development. Um, We do work with some large national players as well. Um, But again, I think the bulk of our portfolio you'd find is uh, kind of those really strong regional players.
1: Great. Um, I do want to take a little bit of a step back, I think um, maybe if we could talk a little bit, if we could focus on some positive things, a lot of what we look at these days, just if you turn on the TV, there's just so many negative things going on in the industry. If you turn on any TV channel, I think this is probably one of the first in our lifetime where we're seeing the president of the United States talk about nursing homes almost on a daily basis. and so. Do you have any kind of positive stories that you're hearing from either within your operator base or some really cool stories, um, you know, with, uh, staff or employees, uh, that you can share with our listeners?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to share some positivity because, uh, the news has not portrayed the industry that well, um, during this crisis, but that I, I it really is a testament to the caregivers and the companies Um, the lengths that they have gone to stay creative and innovative and really take care of all of these very frail seniors. Um, In our portfolio, um, just a couple of quick highlights. There's a ton of them, but senior living communities is a a large operator of ours. They focus predominantly in the Southeast with large entry fee CCRCs, So they do have the benefit of having beautiful campuses with um, lots of green space. But for example, there's one uh, community where the gentlemen have a book club And they definitely wanted to still try and meet with their book club. And rather than doing a a video chat, they were able to all ride their golf carts out into the the lawn and just have a circle of golf carts all, you know, they're six to 10 feet apart and have their book club meetings. That's cool. There's been, they've also been able to do a lot of uh, lawn exercise classes um, where you see just the residents spaced out over these sidewalks everywhere and the um, person leading the classes in the middle and everybody still gets to exercise in person together. So there's been at least some connectivity there which I think is really great on a you know a different kind of scale holiday. Very large independent living operator across the country um, or I should say predominantly independent living. Um, You know for Memorial Day a lot of their communities did a balloon release to honor the veterans and Um, And those that we've lost. And it was just a really cool way to still um, have that activity and have that engagement over the holiday weekend. Um, And then finally, one that does kind of play into the quarantine is uh, Bickford Senior Living did a Seniors for Seniors program where basically the residents produced all these videos of them providing advice and words of encouragement and congratulations to all the graduating seniors in the the local community. Um, And we just thought that was such a cool way to keep everybody engaged and it's something they would have done in person, you know, had, had everything been open, but this was still their way to be able to give back, which was just outstanding.
1: That's yeah, great. Thank you for sharing some positive things. I, I think what will be really cool to see out of all of this is all, all of these stories, hopefully we'll start to see come to light. And so, mm-hmm. um, I would encourage all of the operators or, or propcos or or REITs out there to start to use your social media platforms to just share some of this good news and hopefully some of the news outlets will start to pick up on some of these things.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the other thing I would say is just as an industry, um, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for a while now and and this is one of the first times, like they have really come together. So whether it's the industry organizations lobbying together, creating some of those PR campaigns, or just simply the best practice sharing that's going on between operators. Um, has been really, really cool. And, and again, it's just kind of, I think why we all work in this industry, it's just filled with really good people who are trying to do the right thing.
0: Agreed. Yeah. So I, I, I think everybody's trying to take this one day at a time and if you can make an impact, that's great. So, um, yep. Hey, so the, the, the operators that you're speaking with, um, I mean, obviously this is, there was so much change that had to happen immediately and overnight, I guess. What are, what are some of the, the struggles that you're hearing that some of the operators are still going through and can you highlight the, the most urgent?
2: Um, well, I think like you said, initially the crisis was just simply, how do we shut down and make sure, you know, to mitigate all the risk of getting the virus, you know, hopefully not in your community, but who are we kidding it? It was everywhere. Right. Um, And then it was also the supply chain and just how do I get PPE in here so that I can actually care for these residents. Um, And I think fortunately now, you know, that part of it is kind of behind us to a certain extent. Most people seem to have their supply chain in order. Um, I do think there's going to be continued challenges, though, around uh, just staffing. I mean, the reality is if you have an outbreak, um, and or just even suspected outbreak, you all of a sudden lose, you know, a shift of employees, um, and you know, having to pay people overtime, having to pay, you know, people the the hero pay, which is very well deserved, um, but at, at some point, it just it becomes very challenging for the operators. So I think that's going to be an ongoing struggle. And then I think now, um, much to what we were just talking about, is everyone is starting to develop their plans for how do we reopen in some way shape or form how do we bring socialization back into these communities you know can we start to do some sort of communal dining again some sort of um, you know activities engagement because you know the reality is when you move into senior living one of the big selling points is the socialization and uh you know i think we're starting to see the effects or at least from our operators we're starting to see the effects of uh, some of their residents who've lived there now through these few months, but unfortunately have been fairly quarantined off. And so um, I think the good news is, though, that that's where the focus is, is how do we reopen? How do we get back to living in this predicament? Because, you know, the virus isn't going away anytime soon. And so how we can adapt to have some sense of normalcy, I think, is um, going to be a challenge, but actually is a a positive challenge. That's at least a good thing to be working on and focusing
1: on. Sure. Um, if we could shift a little bit more towards the um, financial aspect of mm-hmm. really what's, what's happening right now. And so you mentioned a lot of the struggles are related to labor. Um, we're seeing a lot of PPE increased cost. Um, and then we're also seeing on the flip side of that, we're seeing um, reimbursement stipends, both on the federal side, as well as some state, um, some states that are participating on the Medicaid side. What are you, what are you looking at as we move forward? Are you, are you seeing that as a net zero? Do you think that those stipends are covering their true expenses as of right now? And, and what do you think that that looks like going forward? I mean, I'm not asking you to predict what the federal government's going (laughs) to do by any means, but, but what's your best assessment, um, W- where that looks like going forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, unfortunately, it's the crystal ball game, right? Uh, how long is this going to last where people are basically very much limited in how many residents they're moving in? Um, because I think that the cost piece of the equation, you know, again, I don't think the staffing costs are going to change all that materially, um, at least not in the near term. And Um, In terms of the government, you're right, it's anyone's guess as to how long some of these programs are going to last and how much more money they might be able to subsidize or not. I think for now that, you know, it's really been, if you think about it, half of March, April, May. So it's June 1st today. We haven't gotten a lot of um, May results yet, obviously. Um, Our expectation, though, is April was tough. Um, A lot of folks did spend a lot initially to acquire that PPE that was at just outrageously high prices and other supplies that were at high prices. Now that they kind of have a little bit of a stockpile, hopefully um, they can order further out and bring those costs a little bit back in line. Um, But things like insurance have skyrocketed and that's probably not going to change in the near future. So there's going to be continued pressure there. Um, I would say certainly through the balance of this year, But the real question starts to become, when do you get to open back up and start moving folks in? Um, And I suspect on the need-based side, the assisted living memory care um, side of the equation for senior housing, um, people are gonna need to move in. And Mm -hmm. so at some point, and, and people are moving in. I think the NIC data last week released that there are Operators are starting to see more folks move in. So I think that's a good thing. Sounds like there's more elective procedures happening in the hospitals again, although we still have a little bit of ways to go. That will help the skilled nursing space. Um, And then with independent living, that's probably the toughest one um, to really know exactly how long it's going to take to kind of come back for folks to move in. But you're going to see continued pressure. I I don't know that it's a net zero at this point. It certainly has helped. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the PPP loans have also definitely helped, although the rules on that kind of continue to change here and there around the forgiveness. I think, you know, the, the one bill that passed last week on one side of the equation gives them some more flexibility. So we'll see if that goes all the way through or not. Um, but it, it, uh, it's going to be challenging. There's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah. When, I guess when you're evaluating an opportunity that comes on your desk, For example, so like you mentioned, I I think you have a good grasp or somewhat of a good grasp on the expense side, right? We know that PPE Mm -hmm. is going to drive up the expenses. You mentioned labor. Um, But especially on the skilled side, revenue, is revenue a complete guess at this point? Because you have these grants that are coming in. You're not sure what each state is going to do in terms of reimbursement. So how are you, you underwriting these deals when... When you're not sure what the government's going to do
1: similar to, you know, a a UPL kind of a scenario with Indiana. Is that
0: maybe how you're looking at it? Indiana, Utah. Yeah. So if, if you're not sure what the government's going to do here.
2: Yeah. I think unfortunately you almost have to just set that aside, um, because you really don't know. And, and at the end of the day, you want to make sure that the underlying operation is secure. Um, right now is just a really weird time. And so it, it's very tough to underwrite today because you don't know what the occupancy is going to be. You don't know how quickly it's going to bounce back. You pretty much almost have to assume that it's going to continue to decline here for at least a period of time. Um, and I don't know that you can really give a lot of credit to the government aid unless they have actually received it in hand and or you know have some assurance that it is absolutely coming. And then I could see it becoming, you know, if I just kind of, play that through, I could see that becoming almost a condition to close. If they think they're gonna get some sort of money and you really are underwriting based on that, you'd have to see that hit, um, I think, in hand before you would actually close would be my guess.
1: So let's, I guess, let's uh, turn the conversation a little bit more towards the asset management side of things and mm-hmm. and really looking at your existing operator base. Um, and so if some of these, things don't net out to zero, right? So we're, we're not seeing the subsidies net out from the expenses and we're starting to see operators really struggle. And, and there is a reality that a lot of the operators today, both on the skilled and the AL side don't have the strongest of balance sheets. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
1: as we start to think through that, is there any kind of grace that you're thinking about, um, working with these operators? Uh, at least in the short term, and maybe helping them work to a better long-term solution?
2: Yeah, I mean, the way that we're really approaching anything asset management related right now is, is absolutely case by case, um, because you're right, every every operator is going to have a different situation, and every lease that we have in our portfolio is going to have a different situation. Um, I think the, the one of the advantages, quite frankly, now of having the triple net lease is on the one hand, it actually helped a lot of operators get the PPP loans um, because they owned their operation still, so they weren't a third-party manager, nor was it JV where they were partnered with a big REIT. Um, so that actually helps them a lot. I think also you've got a lot of other um, kind of credit support features in a lease, so whether it be security deposits or guarantees, there's there's other things there that we can um, you know look to that help provide support. for for that rent payment. Um, And then finally, I mean, we even have in a lot of our deals kind of like a CapEx allocation. And so we went ahead and we, you know, reminded several of our operators, hey, have you spent these dollars yet? Because if you have, remember, you can get reimbursed for that. Um, So there's definitely lots of levers that we can pull and that's really the way that we're approaching it. So there's no uniform program, one size fits all kind of solution here. Um, But the reality is, you know, the first couple of months, have been okay for our portfolio. Um, it's gonna continue to be challenging today. Again, today's the beginning of June, so we'll see you know how this month goes. Um, and uh, we're just having regular communication almost daily with some folks, certainly weekly with others to try and get ahead of any issues that might pop up.
1: You you did mention CapEx Reserve, and I do wanna to touch on that for a second, because um, if you look at the physical plant, right? So. I guess the biggest question that a lot of architects are even looking at today and and other potential real estate investors is, are we looking at redesigning our industry as we know it? And that may boil down to semi-private beds going away at some point. Are you looking at A, your existing assets a little bit different, or are you requiring a little bit more CapEx going forward? And then um, B, what are you looking at for new investment?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think at this point we're necessarily making a lot of changes yet. Um, it's certainly something that we're thinking about as well, but I don't, at this point we haven't really decided to make any wholesale changes to how we're underwriting or approaching that. Sure. Um, I think certainly for any new builds, already, you know, we were thinking about that, right? So if you're looking at a new build for a skilled nursing facility, for example, or a, a renovation or something, you know, one of the key questions is always, you know, how many privates versus privates, what is your target patient mix? What is your target payer mix? You know, and what's gonna be the most applicable there? Um, So I I do think that was partially already coming into the conversation to begin with.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, So as you start to look through some deals that come across your desk, are you taking a look at, I think obviously we're starting to see some impact to the debt market, which flows down into your uh, capital stack and definitely has a a factor um, in your cost of capital, which could then in turn impact your cap rate. So are you looking at different cap rates going forward or should we be looking at that from an IRR perspective?
2: Well, the way that NHI underwrites, because we are predominantly triple net lease, we're really focused on what is the least coverage? And then sure. what is the least yield that we need? So um, while that translates to a cap rate, that's not necessarily what drives our investment decisions. I think if I look more uh, holistically just at the industry in general, what I continue to hear from various lenders and other investors is um, cap rate is kind of anyone's guess today. Um, there will likely be some expansion you know, going forward just because of this risk that's been identified. Um, But I think it's probably gonna be more so in like the B properties in the secondary markets, which quite frankly is where we focus. Um, I think with your very uh, high end class A urban infill locations, the challenge is there's still a lot of capital that's out there that's gonna be looking for those types of deals. Um, So it remains to be seen just how much expansion there's gonna be there um so we'll just have to see but uh but that does seem to be the thinking is right now to try and really pin down a cap rate is extremely tough cash flow is cash is king is always the saying i think that's uh, proving itself very true right now
1: and and our day-to-day activity certainly does agree with what you just said i think we're seeing a lot of the um The primary markets come out and really not see much change on the bid ask than we did previously, especially if it's in a a facility that doesn't have any COVID positive cases, we're Mm -hmm. really not seeing too much of an impact. Um, so I would certainly agree with that assessment for now, where we stand Mm -hmm. today. It could be different tomorrow.
2: Yeah, exactly. We'll just have to all keep (laughs) watching.
0: Well, Hey, Michelle, we, we really appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing your, your um, knowledge with us. And uh, if somebody wants to check out NHI and 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 see what you guys are all about, how, do, how can they go about that?
2: Yeah, if you go to our website, nhireit.com, um, there's a, a feature on there where you can send in an inquiry and that shoots right to me and my colleague. Um, and so we're thrilled to meet new people and would we'd love to to chat with you or answer any questions that you might have.
0: All right, great. Well, thank you, Michelle, and uh, joining us from Colorado, not Illinois.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just like to keep you guessing. <laughs> we really thank appreciate you guys so it so much, though. It's been it's been great, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thanks, Thanks for Michelle.
0: coming on the show. Thanks.
2: Bye. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks.
0: This
1: segment of the show is for you. Why do I say that? Because one of the most common questions that we get at Senwell is "What you got?" So we'll address that right now. I actually want to take the time to present an opportunity that may be unique to most investors in our space. One of the most common transactions that you see is buying or selling the physical plant of either the senior care or senior living facility. One of the things that we work on at Senwell is bed license transactions. Bed licenses are typically found under the certificate of need law, which is state by state specific. Another unique factor is that there's typically a moratorium in place on those bed licenses as well. And when we talk about bed licenses, we're typically talking about skilled nursing beds, although some states do have assisted living and memory care bed licenses that apply to their certificate of need law as well. Having said all of that, there's an opportunity to acquire skilled nursing beds in Palm Beach County, Florida. This could be either an addition to an existing facility or a new development project. There should be enough beds for either situation. If you have any interest in developing skilled nursing beds in the Palm Beach County market, you can contact me directly at Brandon at Senwelladvisors.com. That's Brandon at Senwelladvisors.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. If you want to hear more about investing in the skilled nursing and seniors housing industry, head to our website at www.senwelladvisors.com slash podcast.